Hi, y'all. Welcome to the Filmmaker Toolkit Podcast. My name is Sarah Shackett. I'm the Associate Crafts Editor over at IndieWire. And today I had the great pleasure of sitting down with the two showrunners of my comfort show of 2023 so far, which is Peacock's Poker Face, starring Natasha Lyonne. It is a delightful murder mystery romp of the week all across America, except it was all shot in the Hudson River Valley more or less. So I talked to Lilla and Nora about some of the production constraints that shaped the show and also some of the ambitions and challenges they set for themselves to create new, twistier, more complex murder mysteries every episode. Um, this conversation taught me a lot about how to structure a season of television, uh, and I think you'll really enjoy it. So I will get out of the way and let you listen to Lilla and Nora Zuckerman. I would love to, to ask you both about uh, the sexiest part of television, which is scheduling. This show has is such an absurd wealth of talent, Poker Faces, and I'm kind of curious whether, you know, securing folks like Ron Perlman and Cleo Duvall and, and uh, Benjamin Bratt sort of put um, limitations on the show's format or whether the show's format kind of allowed you guys to do these kind of big, big casts per individual episodes. Well, I think that we were able to do some schedule shifting around directors because we got our directors in place before we did casting. But once our directors were set and we had a, a shoot order, and by the way, we did not shoot this season in order. As a matter of fact, the first episode we shot was episode nine, and then we shot the pilot. So Ryan could be there for those two episodes. And then we were all over the place in terms of order. Um, as for casting, I would say that uh, we were just dancing on the razor's edge the entire season. We would be days away from shooting and trying to uh, lock people in because not only did we have to cast these big guest stars and man, we got so lucky with with the talent that we got. But we also had to cast an entire world's worth of people because there were no recurring characters. So Nora and I would spend our weekends after doing these long shoot days in a hotel room just watching hours and hours of auditions for all of the bit parts as well as, as you know, trying to nail down um, our what were going to be our leading players for those episodes. So it was maximum effort all the time. And uh, big props to our casting director, Mary Verdu, who just did like a lion's share of the work. I mean, she was incredible. Yeah, and we were casting, we were casting out of New York City, um, but the area we shot in was in the Hudson River Valley. So it's an hour and a half, two hours, basically from New York. So if somebody tested positive for COVID the day of or something like that, all of a sudden you were like, oh my gosh, how do we get somebody new in? Um, and that became sort of a logistical problem sometimes as as every show is dealing with. But when you're kind of out in the sticks a little bit, uh, it makes things even more challenging. You mentioned that the, every it's a huge challenge to make every episode a different world when you are trying to turn the Hudson River Valley into the entire continental U.S. Um, and so I'm curious how you've thought about kind of ways to to cheat and sort of have all of the locations you wanted to have, but still sort of do it feasibly in like a, a shoot that made sense. Yeah, I mean, we knew that 
the week we started the writer's room that we were likely going to shoot in this area of New York. So as we were breaking episodes, that was top of mind. Um, so, you know, if we were going to set something at a water park, we would have Googled and said, okay, is there a water park within an hour of our sound stages or an hour and a half? Um, and that becomes, you know, a nice distraction in the room to sit there and Google um, a golf cart track or sorry, go to Google go-kart tracks and uh, arcades and things like that. So we tried our best to make it easy on production, but you also just never know what you're up against or, or you don't know, you know, how hospitable an area is going to be. But this area was really wonderful to shoot in. Um, when we had to find a racetrack, for example, for episode seven, future of the sport, we were kind of at the mercy of the community and hopeful that we would be able to find the exact right kind of track. And luckily we did, and they were incredibly supportive. And the actual, actual racing community in New York State and surrounding areas were hugely supportive of, of the episode and like donated their own, or not donated. I mean, they were paid nicely, but they brought in their cars they had a great time. They were all extras in the background of those scenes and stuff. So sometimes it works out great. And then something else becomes a pitfall that you've never uh, imagined could be. That's awesome. I'm also curious, you know, having the opportunity to, to go to all these different places and to have like entirely unique set pieces for, for every episode. Uh, but you've only got 10 of them. I feel like Poker Face is a show that in another time might have a 22 episode order. Um, I'm kind of curious how you thought about that kind of limited modularity um, in constructing like the overall arc of the seasons. And like, did that sort of inform how you chose which murder mysteries you were actually going to do? Uh, absolutely. You know, the thing about having 10 episodes versus 22 is that it really pushes you to make every single episode just absolutely killer. There can't be any episodes where you are bridging the gap between two episodes or going off tangentially or having a very special episode. You know, Nora and I always talk about how we wanted this season to be all killer, no filler. And 10 episodes forces you to do that. You better make sure that everyone is absolutely cracking. And so when we were in the room, we were always trying to outdo ourselves. You know, how can this next ep episode be innovative and, and top what we've done next or subvert the audience's expectations? And so knowing you only have 10 forced us uh, to try to be just excellent across the board. And, and Nora and I came up through Broadcast Network where we were doing 22 episodes a year. And the thing that that taught us was that if you're going to get through a season, you're going to have to make decisions and stick by your decisions creatively. That's the only way that you can move at such a, a quick speed. And uh, for this season, you know, when we came into the room and got our writer's room assembled, the pilot had been written by Ryan, but we had to break nine episodes of television. And we managed to get all of those scripts done in 20 weeks. And so we moved at the speed of a 22 episode uh, season, but with half the staff. And um, and I think we churned out 
some incredible episodes of television where I don't think there's a single one that's kind of like, well, that will be fine, you know, and, and then we'll get to the the good stuff. I, I thought they were all excellent. No, very different um, in sort of scope, tone, feel, all of it. Uh, I'm also kind of curious because y'all come from um, some very stalwart genres shows, like Fringe, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., and if sort of working in kind of the sci-fi space informed how you relate to mystery as a genre and the whodunit as a genre, and, and kind of, I would love to, to sort of hear how you sort of finessed Poker Face's genre awareness that it has. Yeah, I mean, I think coming from those kind of shows, and, and it's funny because there has been a bit of a discourse online about Charlie's ability does that make her a superhero? Is this a superpower? Um, and I think that's up for debate. But it, I think it definitely helped us um, when, we, when it came to writing Poker Face. I think because a lot of writers might have approached Charlie's ability and, and the way this, this show lays out as a, a story problem, we saw it as a story opportunity, Right. Charlie's ability, while it may help her solve crimes, doesn't help her get justice, you know? And there are a lot of times where her ability actually becomes more of a problem than a help. And I think that's something that goes back to a bit our sci-fi roots or our superhero roots, where you would love to throw obstacles up at your characters and go, oh, you think you're invulnerable to X? Well, what if Y happened? And, uh, how that affects them as a character and, and the choices they make. And that's sort of the most fun thing in my mind about writing genre television is how do you heighten a, a character's dilemma? You know, they, they could be Superman, but how is that a problem for them as opposed to an advantage? I also think that when you are, you know, writing in the genre space and you have these characters with these supernatural abilities, you're always trying to find creative ways to use those abilities. And like Nora said, sometimes it's working against them, sometimes it's working for them, but you also want to switch it up so the audience isn't watching the same thing every week. You know, if, if you know, you're writing The Flash, it's like, how many ways are we going to use his his flashy runberry run abilities, but like in an innovative, interesting, unique way? And we tried to do that with with Charlie's ability as well. Sometimes she spots a lie that seems tangential. Sometimes she hears the truth, and that's the linchpin. Um, sometimes she hears somebody lying and makes a false assumption, and so we kind of played around with it like you would if you were writing um, a genre show. No, I absolutely love that it. this woman loves to talk to people so much that she will just continually get into rooms with murderers by herself. Um, <laughs> and and you can tell that sort of her her hook into this and, and her superpower and her itch all sort of come out of her character need, which is a just wonderful storytelling. Um, I'm kind of curious in terms of like obstacles. It feels like the show by taking place kind of in the middle of the country has this sort of throwback vintage vibe to it. And I'm kind of curious how much of that is 
an homage to sort of older whodunit shows and how much of it is like trying to defang the smartphone as a mystery solving tool. Well, I will say, yeah, Lil and I joked to Ryan about at the end of his pilot, we were like, our favorite scene of this whole season is Charlie smashing her cell phone. Because as writers, cell phones become like story poison sometimes, right? Like, you're like, oh, just call for help. You know, and Charlie can't do that because she doesn't have a have a cell phone. We've also talked about, you know, how does Charlie stumble into these murders? Well, her face is not in a phone the way that all of ours are. You know, we're all guilty of of escaping into the into the screen and uh, Charlie can't do that. So instead, her head is up. She's listening. She's hearing the lies. She's hearing the innocuous lie that makes her go, why would you why would you lie about that? And then, you know, leads to a, a, a bigger investigation. So, you know, we've joked before that maybe all of us would be, um, you know, solving murders on a regular basis if we weren't so buried in our own technology. Um, but I think it does help with the throwback vibe. I think the show was always designed to have sort of a throwback quality to it. Um, just the fact that she can't use a cell phone is actually additive to that. And I, I want to say something too about how we, you know, picked our locales and for, for this show, because it really was by design that we were going to be celebrating the heartland of America and perhaps these unexplored um, corners of the country and, and these little micro cultures, whether it's late model car racing or washed up dinner theater. And we kind of knew from the jump that that's where we wanted to take Charlie and take the show, but we didn't want uh, the the story to be at the expense of these kind of like, you know, everyday places that people might think are not glamorous. We really wanted to put sophisticated, elevated uh, crimes in the middle of these kind of commonplace uh, venues. And so... I remember when we were talking to Ryan, I think we were interviewing for this job and I said, you know, I want to do the mousetrap at the Shoney's. You know, I want to find our Moriarty working at, you know, a mechanic shop. And and to put like all, you know, if you look back at a lot of Agatha Christie and a lot of other murder mysteries, it's like it's all happening at the Four Seasons. And I joked to Ryan, I was like, this show doesn't take place at the Four Seasons. It takes place at Four Seasons Total Landscaping. And that was very much by design. Yeah, it's it's telling when the most glamorous place that you go is Atlantic City. That's right. That's true. <laughs> and I think I think it also speaks to all of us, our experience on a daily basis. If you work in an office or you work at a bank or you work at Shoney's or you go to college or whatever it is, you are an expert of your own environment. So if you were the kind of person who wanted to get away with the murder or cover something up, you know exactly how to do it. You know, because if you're observant and you look around and you see how your own world works, then you know, you become an expert at that. And so um, we thought it was really fun to drop Charlie into these places. Um, and, you know, most of our killers are maybe didn't totally think things through, but a, a lot of them do. And and it should be formidable because they they are the experts of their world. They know how to get away with it. And it's up to Charlie to pierce that and get justice. 
This may be a deeply unfair question, but what was the hardest murder to break out of the the nine episodes besides the pilot? Ooh, that's a good question. What what do you think, Lil? You know, we always we always challenged ourselves with every single episode. And so we would lay down the gauntlet for ourselves in the room and try to, with every episode, kind of innovate on the form. And so I always go back to this moment where we were breaking this dinner theater episode and the challenge was laid down. Can she solve the mystery while the play is running on stage in, you know, quote unquote, real time? And there was like a silence that fell over the room and we're like, oh, my God, it's so scary. But we, we have to try to do it, you know, and with um, with our, our heavy metal rock and roll episode, we were looking at the board and looking at this episode and how it was laying out. And then the challenge was laid down. How do we make music core to this mystery? Like, it's not enough to just solve a mystery in the world of, of rock and roll. Like, the music needs to be key to solving that. And then that's how we got into the idea of like, oh, the song is going to be like the linchpin and, and, and the mystery that she starts solving first. So it's difficult for me to say like, which was the hardest one to break because we challenged ourselves with every single episode to be different. And, and so um, in a way they were all really hard to break because we just sat there and tried to 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 make them better and better and better and twistier and and more detailed and more nuanced and more complex um and if you saw our writers room it was like a beautiful mind you know it was uh, it it looked insane but we were um we really threw uh the entire brain trust into the writers room and, and cracking these cases yeah every every single episode had its own really like unique challenge I think of um, future of the sport, the car racing episode is particularly challenging in some ways because nobody dies, right? So you have to, as as a writer's room go, um, are there the same stakes? Um, are, is the audience still invested even though there's not a dead body? But, you know, what came out of that episode is I think probably one of our most diabolical villains, somebody who who really does something quite, quite awful. He just doesn't murder anybody technically, you know, um, but he certainly kind of tries. So it's uh, in that way, that was an interesting challenge to us. And I don't think if, if you told us at the beginning of the season, like, oh, you're going to do an episode where nobody dies. Um, I don't know. It, it, we, I don't think we quite expected that, but I think it really worked for the episode. And, and I don't think um, anything was lost by by not having a dead body in that episode. Yeah, and I'm I'm curious, just kind of when you are uh, sort of trying to to top yourself and find those surprises. Does that start with uh, the concept for a murder? Does that start with a set piece? Does that start with a, a twist that you want to throw the audience's way? So when we were kind of trying to design these episodes. We figured that there were a million ways into this story. And, and one thing you want to do as a showrunner is, is kind of give the room latitude to think creatively. So we would have these days where we would say, like, it's pitch fest and people could come in and they could pitch um, a world. They could pitch a murder. They could pitch a villain. They could pitch a funny notion like 
I think it would be funny if, if Charlie was investigating a dog murder instead of a person murder. And maybe that's a good way into a story. And so you would have concepts, you'd have notions, you'd have ideas, you'd have worlds, you'd have villains, you'd have sidekicks. And you would start to maybe piece something together out of all of those ideas. Like, hey, remember this barbecue idea that Wyatt had and then Ryan's funny dog pitch? I think those actually belong together. Um, and so we would start to form the episodes that way. And and by the way, there were a lot of episodes that we pieced together that we just couldn't find the hook, right? We just couldn't find the special sauce. And one of the things that we learned while we were breaking this season was it's not enough for us to do um, poker face we have to do poker face plus like we would talk about Columbo like we're not doing Columbo we're doing Columbo plus like there needs to be some sort of high concept element in every single episode whether it's switching up with the victim is whether it is this is the episode where nobody dies but there justice still needs to be done whether the concept is oh we're thinking we're seeing two people that are about to murder each other but they're actually in cahoots and then you know whether it's using music in the solve or, or um, you know, it, all of these episodes had some sort of high concept element in it that got us excited and we knew that it was going to set it apart from all the other episodes. That makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm just curious if someone having now watched Poker Face is staring down the long wait until season two, um, are there episodes of like Columbo or Murder, She Wrote um, or, or shows of that type that fans of Poker Face would get more out of now having seen uh, the series? Were there sort of reference points that uh, you guys drew on? Well, I certainly think, you know, Columbo is is sort of the classic how catch them. And so obviously that's going to be a fun thing for people to to enjoy. And one of one of the joys of, of finally putting this show out in the world and having um, a show like Columbo and shows like Murder, She Wrote exist on Peacock. Um, people have been watching Poker Face and rolling right into episodes of Columbo or rolling into Murder, She Wrote. And that's been so fun to see, you know, young people who are like, I've, I've never seen an episode of Columbo. Now I want to check it out. And now we're sort of creating fans. Um, so that's been a real blast. And I think one of the, I mean, I hope people just get more into the mystery genre in in general. You know, there's there's a show I love, a British show called Luther that has a lot of fans. And in some ways, it's um, a classic how catch them, but done in such a different way. It's obviously it's very, yeah, incredibly tonally different. And and when you see the murder at the top of an episode of Luther, it's it's usually quite terrifying. Um but but it it's its own little um, movie in some ways the the murder at, at the top of a of a Luther episode so I encourage people to to check that out as well but you know I'm I'm just hoping we're making murder mystery cool again I mean Ryan already did it in the movies we're hoping to do it in television and and um, I don't know it's it's really hard to pick a favorite Columbo episode I don't know how you feel Lil I mean I love the Leonard Nimoy. Uh, episode that's wonderful murder by the book is about a writing team um with murder so lil and i probably have a certain affinity to that and my favorite episode is um actually about a woman author who is kind of an agatha christie type 
And um, I God, I can't remember the name of the episode. Can you remember that one, Nora? She's like from Harold no, and Maud. Quickly Google. Yes, yeah, yeah. that that happens to be my favorite episode because not only is she absolutely diabolical and wicked in this murder she pulls off, but then her and Columbo actually form a friendship. And it is actually very heartbreaking when he, you know, has to has to get justice and, and put her away. It reminds me a little bit of Time of the Monkey in um, Poker Face, where um, Charlie has this bond with Joyce and Irene. And it is really heartbreaking when she has to uh, do the right thing and 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 confront them and, and put them away. Um, the other thing I'll mention that I watched that is not necessarily in the murder mystery genre, but was really informative, illuminating, inspiring, is I went back and I watched a lot of Alfred Hitchcock Presents, and I would encourage people to dip into uh, that as well. The storytelling is so modern. It's so resonant. It is spooky and fun and sinister and subversive um, and super creative. Uh, so I had a great time revisiting all of that. Um, the episode's called Try and Catch Me. Mm, try and yeah. Catch Me. Check it out. Yeah, it's great. Um, to completely zag, I wanted to to go back to the pilot, um, which was written by Ryan uh, when you guys came on. Uh, and I'm so curious, kind of, in terms of creating the character and and, and fleshing out um, this Nevada landscape, but like what other things in the pilot suggested possibilities to you or sort of what did you find most useful about that document as you started to plan out the rest of the world? Well, I think, you know, any show you come on to, you uh, look at the pilot as sort of the urtext of, of the whole show, right? You're sort of setting the tone, you're setting the character. In some ways, the, the pilot is like a gift. The hardest episode is always the second episode that you write, right? Because you're all of a sudden going, oh, now the, the actual realities of, of every week um, come into play. But the pilot is really fun and Ryan had a lot of time to write it. So it's incredibly detailed. Um, and it really immediately um, suggests such a wonderful character and the one thing that really struck me about Charlie is she just has this innate sense of justice, but she doesn't know where to put it, right? You show her in the beginning of the episode and, and she's, she's riding with Natalie in the car and she's angry about stuff. And she's like, look, I, I tweeted it, you know, time's up on that shit. And is, you know, because she sent a tweet feels like, okay, I've, I've, I've really done something here. But by the end of the episode, she's put her life, on the line to get justice for somebody. And that was just a lovely kind of character arc. And I think the pilot suggested that she's, she's, there's no going back for her. There's no going back to, I'm just going to sit on my phone and tweet about injustice as opposed to doing something about it. And so that was like, just opened up, I think a wonderful world, world of possibilities for this character. And I think all of us at heart have some innate sense of justice. Um, we just usually can't do anything about it. And so she, she became very heroic to me after, after uh, reading the pilot for the first time. And I remember Lil and I called each other and we were like, oh no, this is so good. Like now we really want this job. Like it's, it was, it was really one of our favorite pilots we had read. 
And we studied it. I mean, we studied this pilot like it was the Talmud or something. Like I <laughs> reread it and reread it and reread it and kind of broke it down in my brain. And one of the things that I discovered in studying it was that, you know, in, in Poker Face, you got to use every piece of the buffalo, right? You have, there is no such thing as a throwaway detail. Everything is relevant. Everything comes back. Every piece of dialogue, every little clue hiding in plain sight, you know, all of the intricacies around the gun and the metal detector, which he establishes earlier. And like all of these things that you might see as just like flourish or world or filling in, uh, you know, shading in the details. No, they're all relevant. And so we um, endeavored moving forward to 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 do that throughout Poker Face. And and I think it's it's true with every single episode that we created, like the audience's attention will be rewarded because nothing is a throwaway. Nothing is happenstance. And and that was established in the pilot and we brought that forward. That's amazing. Um I'm curious if, you know, it's a massive engineering project in the scripting phase to sort of use every part of the buffalo and and make sure all of the callbacks align perfectly um does that make post any easier or are you still trying to work stuff out in the edit and trying to figure out timing and i'm i'm curious kind of like does the episode need to come together again after after the shoot yeah absolutely and i i think if you ask anybody on on any show or any movie there's always little things that you miss. Um, and hopefully you figure those out ahead of time. And, you know, you shoot an insert when you need a little, you know, a hand picking up something, a, a finger turning on the microphone or turning off the microphone. Little things like that, um, that you kind of know you need the pieces, but sometimes you don't know exactly what pieces you need until you get into the edit. So there, there are certainly little things that we had to pick up afterwards. Um, but a lot of that, you know, you can't shoot it on the day because you don't know if you'll need it. It just becomes sort of part of the process. You know, they say that in that in editing, it's, it's the final rewrite, you know, and, and there's stuff that, that we've been on set saying we absolutely need to get this shot. And thank God we did, you know, because you can't just have it be a hand or the back of a double's head or something. So um, it's, it, but you do have to pick your battles because every day time is limited, you know, and, and this show is so ambitious that um, you really have to um, decide what we can get later and, and what we absolutely need to get today. All television shows seem bonkers to me in terms of the timeline of how they're made. Uh, this one in particular. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and I'm curious, just uh, kind of um, a little bit how you manage your time as showrunners, kind of like where, like, how, how do you sort of um, set priorities, figure out uh, what's the most important thing to do on that day? Like, I'm just curious, kind of the, the day in, day out lived experience of managing all of these things. I would say that the experience is like running a marathon at the pace of a sprint. You know, in this show, from the day we started the writer's room, which is in late September of 2021, to the day we wrapped production, which was in late September 2022, we we did all of the writing and principal photography in one calendar year, which is pretty unheard of in this uh, streaming age. 
Um, and then a couple months later, it was unleashed out into the world. So it, it did come together quickly. And I would say, you know, Nora and I have been uh, working together for 15 years. We've been in all different rooms, all different shows. We've seen shows run well. We've seen shows that have been dysfunctional. And the one thing that, you know, we took away and we brought into Poker Face is like, we need to have confidence in our creative decisions. That to me is like the thing that always like grinds stuff to a halt is if you start questioning yourself or if you start changing your mind, maybe I don't want this person to be the killer. Maybe we don't want to set it here. Or maybe we should rethink this. You have to have confidence in the creative decisions that you've made. And if something isn't working, have confidence in your ability to fix it. You know, there is a solution. And the good news is with television is you're surrounded by a lot of really brilliant people. You know, we had a brilliant room of writers where, you know, if we were stuck on something, you have six brains there. They're going to help you get through it or find the, the, you know, innovative answer, find the key. If you are on set and you are stuck and you're losing light, you have incredible, you know, camera department, you have a line producer, you have, you know, one of us on set saying, hey, maybe we can do this like in a two for one kind of situation. Like the the whole vibe is collaborative. And if you create an environment where people feel safe collaborating and contributing, because you are surrounded by experts, you're surrounded by like the best of the best. These people are brilliant. So if you just give them the freedom to be able to do their jobs, you're going to get through it together. But yeah, one thing I'll say, uh, you know, ask any showrunner or any director, they always wish they had more time. You always wish you had one extra day of production. You always wish you had like a second, like an action unit or whatever. And I think there were there were certainly times like that on this show because it is so detailed um, and there are so many scenes. Uh, but we really, and we did have to pick our battles, but all the stuff that we really fought for keeping it's the stuff that people are responding so well to, you know, even if it's a one-off joke or it's, you know, in episode three, Charlie reenacting the, the, the murder running across the field and timing herself and all that stuff, you know, that's the kind of thing that in these production meetings, when you're, when the chips are down and you're looking at your day and can we do this? And you say, okay, let's do the simpler version, but we can't lose this because this moment is going to be, not only funny, but help illustrate, you know, the murder itself. Um, so we, we, we fought for a lot of detail that we got to keep and I don't regret any of that. No, absolutely. So pleased that there's Charlie Kale gets to have her serial moment. Um, <laughs> in that exactly. episode. That's right. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, the last question I want to ask you guys is, uh, you know, I, Natasha Leone is such a presence, such a wonderful presence and and sort of writing for her as Charlie and Charlie as this vehicle for her, um, I feel like gives you a, a little bit of a head start. But I'm curious, like, once you sort of got into writing the character, what did you learn about Charlie from writing her? I think the the key thing with Charlie is that, you know, she's always able to connect, right? That's the thing that we kind of learned about her that really unlocked the like, aha, this is why she's able to um, stumble into these murder mysteries. This is why she's able to like ingratiate herself in the world. She's kind of like a magnet, 
you know, or as Natasha said, she's a dog person, but for people, like she just can't help but uh, attract people. And it's um, for, you know, everybody says that Charlie's ability is that she can tell when somebody's lying. But I think her superpower really is her connection to the people around her. And I don't think that's very common nowadays. If you, you know, you started a new school, you started a new job, you kind of keep to yourself, you kind of keep your head down, you, you know, uh, are, are a little hesitant in your surroundings. But Charlie is just open, you know, she's kind of like, sunshine and people are drawn to her because she's drawn to them. And I think unlocking that superpower was like really the key to, uh, to writing her. Cause from that, then you get all of the fun, you know, dialogue and the cracks and the, you know, the situations, but you have to kind of start there. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I realized too, as we started writing her that there's something really wonderful about somebody who can tell if somebody's lying, but they're not a cynic, they don't look at every single person as a liar. Maybe they look at everybody as flawed, but uh, they accept that. And and I think there's something really wonderful about Charlie's ability to not become the bi- world's biggest misanthrope. You know, if if I knew everybody was lying to me every second of the day, I I think I would probably not be Charlie Kale. I think I would probably be a pretty depressed and angry person. Um, so there's something that I find really hopeful and lovely about that quality. And it became really fun to write. Amazing. It's fun to watch as well. Thank you. Um, yeah. Nora and Lilla, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It was so much fun talking to you.